Turns out it's haunted. The podcast covering haunted locations and spooky stories. We're your hosts, Tracy and Laura. Hello, through the powers that be Zoom. <laughs> Tracy and I, I are know. Back. Scaredy cats. We hope that um, that this works. That it's better than nothing. <laughs> I think at this point, we're all just like, you know what? We'll take what we can get. All right. Yeah, we need to record and hopefully you guys need to listen to us, you know, doing our thing. <laughs> yeah, so we are, we're trying to make it happen. We've got our own little, like, concoctions set up in our homes and <laughs> in do. rooms and lots of cords and microphones and lots of buttons to press and settings to tick off and neither of us have any fucking idea what we are doing, but we are trying our best to make sure that we get somewhat of an episode or something that resembles a haunted turn that haunted episode <laughs> to your ear holes absolutely and we have you know we've dress rehearsed this and we have tried trialing this so we'll just see how we go and like you said hopefully it works yeah so laura has been a little bit off the last week she got the dreaded snot yep thank you maya yeah, so we have another Tracy episode, another me episode. So I'm okay with that. Listen to <laughs> so we're going to do Cockatoo Island. Yes. So do you know where Cockatoo Island is, Laura? Is it a little ex sort of penitentiary island in Sydney Harbour? Yeah. Okay. I've heard a little bit about it, yeah. but that's pretty much it, exactly what I said. If that's right or not, I don't know, but that's in my warped memory how I recall it. Yeah. No, you're pretty bang on. Um, it, it, you're going to learn about, like, other things that it did and sort of the other purposes that it had, but that's pretty much what, what most people would know it as in terms of if you ask anyone, that's, if they've got any idea, that's what it would be. Okay. So. Cockatoo Island, which is in Sydney Harbour, um, is a little island that first opened in 1839. And when I say opened, it finally took the arrival of 60 criminals from uh, basically these were colonial prisoners. So we're thinking back to these probably were English um, or or uh, prisoners that had come over on, on the fleets and, and things like that that you know, we're probably prisoners for the most randomest of reasons because, as we've talked about before, you know, like people would go to jail for, for anything, you know, stealing a loaf of bread and they'd be sentenced to 20 years in jail or whatever. So when 60 criminals arrived on the island, they arrived to nothing. It was just land, just an island. And what they slept in were tents and um, sleeping bags. Well, not they were probably swags, more likely back then, like a even if they had any shelter or coverage, but they were sleeping in tents and they had no clean water, no toilet, no food, apart from the bread that arrived with them on their ship. That's and grim. Back then, yeah, pretty grim, pretty awful. Um, thinking also about having no electricity. Um, like when the sun goes out, it would have been fucking dark, you know, like it would have been 
water, the sharks, like, and also people over, um, like if you think about English people coming to Australia, like being surrounded by water on an island is the most foreign thing to them. I know they've been on a boat on water that whole time all the way over to Australia, but still imagine like being forced then onto this little island and just sat there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And no Um, shelter. Nope. And so for many of them, they referred to it as the island of the snakes. Snakes. Um, and that's because snakes. Like snakes. How big is this <laughs> island? It's not, well, it, it's sort of, um, it's not that big, but it's, it's big enough to hold, if you think about it, like a dockyard, like a ship's dockyard. And there's snakes on so, this island. Is this what you're saying? There were, yeah, lots of snakes. So it was like Snake Island. So how it got its name Cockatoo Island is probably the cockatoos fed on the snakes. I'm not sure because I never actually really looked into why it's called Cockatoo Island, if I'm being honest. But um, I would imagine that it's got something to do with the fact that it's a place for cockatoos to congregate because there's a lot of food sources there. Um, so there were snakes everywhere. So the prisoners had to sleep in tents or in swags with no, with no light at night time um, and would have to sleep with the snakes essentially. And probably rodents, so, like what are the snakes eating? So they're probably eating rice yeah. and rice, I mean mice, <laughs> rats. <laughs> no probably rice not, not a lot of rice. <laughs> God. All right. <laughs> no, but what are the snakes eating? Like there must be food sources yeah. there for them. Well, well, for sure it would be like um, water rats, you know, at the oh, Sydney yeah. Harbour, you know. Um, have you ever seen yeah. a water rat? Have I what? Ever seen a water rat? Yeah, there's heaps in Gosford, like near Iguana, well, the oh, old Iguana Joes. Uh, of course there would be. be. Yeah. yeah. They're enormous and I black. Oh, I know. And, oh. Anywho. I remember one, one um, uh, Valentine's night, it, I was pregnant, I think, with Luca. So I was like 26 and it was Valentine's night, pregnant, not really going to be doing anything much exciting. And Matt and I just love to spend time together. So um, we decided that we were going to go to one of our, the date that um, that we were on when we found out that we were pregnant with our first child, we went to the Hawkesbury. And so okay. not the Hawkesbury, we went up to Barara Waters. Sorry, not the Hawkesbury. Um, and so for Valentine's Day, I decided to get fishing rods and bait and just pack a picnic. And we went to Barara and we were just going to sit on the pier and just fish. Yeah. I had never, ever, ever thought of water rats or seen a, a fucking water rat in my life. And I'm <laughs> pregnant, like fully heavily pregnant because Luca was born on the 1st of April. So like Valentine's Day is February. So yeah. he was due in March. So I'm like, I've got like a month and a bit to go. And yep. I'm like hanging my feet off the edge and it's nighttime. <laughs> We've got a little like kerosene lamp and I've got a picnic set out. Oh, my and Matt's gosh. fishing and then all of a sudden out the corner of my eye, I just see this thing run like from one end of the pier to obviously towards the food. But because I've got <laughs> and nearly fallen in the water, this rat's just gone flying off the pier and, and splashed in. And then all of a sudden I just see like hundreds of them just scary everywhere. And I'm like, what is water rats like, <laughs> so disgusting like I was like no that's it that's done Valentine's Day over ruined done finished fair fair did you just fair. buy fish and chips on the way home 
I can't even remember. I think I wiped, I think I wiped that whole night from my memory. All I remember is the rats. Like it's just, that's, that's my only memory of, of Valentine's Day, 2008. <laughs> oh, gross. Sounds so um, romantic and special. So romantic. Um, so these criminals, um, were first their, their superintendent. So the superintendent is pretty much the, the boss of the jail, the boss of the, the boss of the island, essentially. His name is Charles Ormsby. Now, he was a nasty, nasty, nasty piece of work. So I want to introduce you to Mr. Ormsby. Oh, okay. So he came to be the superintendent of Cockatoo Island because he had previously been dismissed from his former job after it was discovered that he had forced the inmates to kill, like maim, kill, absolutely slaughter um, the sheep that were like providing, um, like providing things for the prison that he worked at. He got the inmates to kill them in front of him so that they were forced to do something inhumane but also for his viewing pleasure because he got off on the fact that he was watching these people kill sheep. Wow. So he was, yeah, so he was dismissed from there and he was sent to Cockatoo Island and I kind of get this feeling like he was sent there almost like we couldn't give a shit and we're going to send you to an island with 60 criminals and a bunch of snakes and good luck. And, it's his punishment. Know, may the yeah. force be with you. Yeah, kind of. Wow. But um, Superintendent Ormsby seems to be a, an opportunist at, at the very least. Um, and instead of really ruling with an iron fist, he actually introduced the cat of nine tails and would rule with a whipping of cat of nine tails. And he would really just need someone to just not do what he asked them to do in order to receive that that punishment of the cat of nine tails. And so he was an extremely corrupt man uh, and he ended up using the land, which is government land. So if you're, um, so my uh, maternal grandfather was a superintendent of Parramatta Jail. And if you're on that land, that land is government land. So any money that is made from the land in the government land, in the prison, goes to the government. It's not personal. It can't be personal money. So if the prisoners go to work on the land, that money that they earn has to go either back into the prison or to the government. Yeah. And so Superintendent Ormsby decided that he was going to put the criminals to work. First of all, he got them to build their prison. So they built and constructed the, the actual physical building. And the first thing that he got them to build was the confinement cells, the solitary confinement cells, before he actually got them to build the dormitories. So the prisoners were forced to still sleep outside, whilst if you even looked sideways or did anything that made him unhappy, you got actually a free night in a confinement cell, which was probably better standards than being outside with the snakes. Might I <laughs> yeah. But around the um, confinement cells, the solitary confinement, he then built the dormitories. And so it was a fairly small uh, prison and could only really hold up to about 200. At one stage it did hold 300, but it should have only held up to 200, which is fairly small compared to most, but it is an island. So it's not Still a big. lot. Yeah, for a little, you know, <clears throat> it's, it's island. A lot. But what he did guarantee was that there is enough land to be able to create a farm and so or or almost like a, a mini hobby farm and his hobby farm had cabbage so he grew cabbage but he fart got food. the prisoners to pardon 
fart, fart food. food. Yeah, can you imagine? Of all things, can you imagine? Of all things to grow. You gotta grow fart food. Stench. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's just add another another stench to the. Probably the only thing oh, even rats imagine. wouldn't bloody touch because it's so gross. True. Maybe it's like a rat repellent. Rub it on. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you've got mastitis. Good God, why do oh, we yeah. need cabbage? <laughs> I know. I've got a photo of that actually, sitting at like, like laying back on the lounge with two massive cabbage leaves <laughs> over my boobs. I'm here for that. Where is that photo right now? <laughs> I don't think it worked. I don't remember it working. Actually, I didn't it for mastitis. I did it for my milk came in. Oh, just the coldness. But we had to. Th- I hate cabbage. I can't stand the smell of it. So mm. we could. We had to throw the whole cabbages out though, because the only ones big enough to fit my boobs were the outer leaves. <laughs> so it was like we just need the outer leaves. This is why we're perfect. You could have the outer ones. I could have the inner ones, and there'd be no waste. <laughs> and then someone can cook the rest. <laughs> yeah, and feed it to someone that's not us, because we don't want the cabbage. Anywho, sorry, I digress. So he he had them grow, like plant, tend to and grow and also sell the cabbage. So, And then he profited from the sale of the cabbage. So instead of giving the money back to the prison, he pocketed the money, which back then was uh, completely against the law and he knew what he was doing. So he was profiting off slave labour but also the prison system so what he also used to do was um, when a, an inquest was done into the treatment of the prisoners but also the fact that he was corrupt and stealing money from the government, an inquest was done and it was discovered that he also organised fight nights. Oh, dear. They would have been fairly common so amongst, too. Yeah. So amongst the prisoners he would make them fight each other to the death. And he would have outsiders put money on the fight and he would pocket pocket the losses and the wins. So he was a pretty nasty fellow. And Douche. meanwhile, the prisoners were severely malnourished. Uh, they were living off uh, porridge and pork from pigs um, and cabbage. Um, but pretty <laughs> much that's all they lived off. But he would give them like so much work to do during the day that they had to finish their work in order to be able to eat. But if you didn't finish your work before it was supper time and the meals were served, then you didn't eat. So the the kind of the pressure was to be out and to not stop through the entire day and to work, work, work and work. Otherwise you would go to bed completely starving. And so the tubs that were used for toilets, um, they were just troughs and they were communal troughs. So you would just walk up to a trough and have to do your number twos and your number ones in this communal trough and it would just sit there for days on end. Um, oh. And he would, some, what, from what I've read, it's kind of like that was part of the punishment that you weren't allowed to clean the trough daily. You had to have it there for a couple of days, you know, because he just likes making it super nice for everyone. That's, that, um, yeah, that's not nice for anyone, including him. He's got to hang oh, around. I can't them. even stand it when, like, someone forgets to flush the toilet. Like, yeah, and the shit pits <laughs> like, in oh national God. parks and all that. That's that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> the drop dunnies. Oh, so gross. <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to be okay with it. I really would. I'd love Why? to just be like, oh, you know, I'm no, you know, I'm no high needs lady, but. Man, that's 
it's you high needs. Yeah, I know, to have a flushing toilet. I know. I know. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something that I did when I was young. So I was 10, so not even that young. But we, the house that we lived in, um, had previous owners used to have greyhound dogs and so they had like cages built in the back far like behind the garage where they used to keep their greyhound dogs and so I used to use those places as like cubby houses and places to go and we set up the neighborhood kid kind of fort and like that was our hangout hideout so we were all yeah and so we never wanted to go home to go to the toilet so I can't believe I'm sharing this on the podcast I know it's to everyone and we're recording (laughs) And everyone's going to hear this. Do go on, Tracy. So I got an ice cream tub, a four-liter ice cream tub, like no frills ice cream tub, got the lid, cut a hole in the lid and dug a hole, buried the ice cream tub, built it back up again, but put a glad wrap, um, like an empty glad wrap cylinder through the hole and then put it up the top like a tube and had it sticking out the top so everyone could just go to the toilet so we didn't have to go home. That's genius. <laughs> but you still would have to semi-squat over this tube, right? It's yeah, not very I don't supportive. remember anyone using it. I just remember oh, making it. I love that. Because um, I can't imagine, like, I, I don't, I can't imagine me ever wanting to do, like, the genius side of it would have been enough for me. But Yes. Like, we were yes. at my house, so I was going to go inside and go to the toilet. <laughs> It was the genius side, and I'm like fully else. trying to picture the manoeuvres it would make to have the accuracy of shitting down a glad wrap pipe hole. Because I'm there, I'm there for any solution that you know <laughs> that avoids having to use the long drum. I'm there for, and I've heard of people like cutting holes in bo- in buckets with lids, but I've never heard of someone inserting a glad wrap pipe and I just hats off to you but I'm still picturing you have to gonna you're gonna have to squat over that still yeah and maybe have someone kind of like to the left to the left to the left no, 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 right. like how do you how are you gonna park release. that <laughs> so I don't know it's out of control we're on a time limit here Man, we, yeah I know and COVID man we're just losing the plot anyway yeah, so, of course, all of this, you know, it actually accumulated to the rats and the mice, um, but also bed bugs began to take over and run rampant too. So there was a lot of um, skin sores and just, just you can just imagine the, the state of these men and yeah. what, they, what they would have, like, looked like and their health. No, so they just people died of porridge and bread. Yeah. No. Um, and um, eventually the formal complaints were made and after the inquiries discovered that there were the fight nights plus um, the substantial evidence that they had with the cabbage sales, Ormsby service um, was completely, um, you know, ended and he was ousted in 1859. Thank fuck. Because, so like, they profited begin off, to... yeah. I'm just. I just wanted to interject. They profited off cabbage. They actually made money. He profited. He did. Yeah. Illegally. He did. Yeah. Yeah. From Illegally. the cabbage patch kids. From the cabbage patch men. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. fight night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. At least there was some kind of method there for people to complain. They must have been. Um, visited by other people checking up on them from time to time, irrespective of whether or not they were just sent out there to 
you know, screw you all and here you go, here's our captain that's also a douchebag. They were checking up on them at some point by the sounds. Well, ultimately I think that the people that were um, like the other government officials or mates of Ormsby's that were um, maybe betting on these fight nights or benefiting from the corruption that probably was also rife in other areas. I'm pretty sure Ormsby wasn't the only corrupt officer in the in the yeah. neighbourhood. Um, I'm pretty sure, you know, someone gets cranky and someone knows a little bit too much information and then decides to share it. I don't know. But he was so gone he, in 1859. Right. And then? And and then that made way for another superintendent who ran the, um, who ran the prison from 1859 to 1870 and he lived on the grounds of Cockatoo Island his family joined him in 1864 and it's believed in that they lived in the home or their residence on the Cockatoo Island, which is known as, I am going to butcher this, but it's um, Biloela House um, or Bilola House. Um, but we're going to come back to that because this period of time um, is where, where one of the resident ghosts comes from. But we're going to oh. come back to that. Once okay. I've laid the foundations for the <laughs> for the reason why Cockatoo Island is haunted. Set us up, Tracy. Um, yeah. So in 1871, the prison was closed down and the remaining prisoners were sent to Darlinghurst Jail. So not far, but um, so how it, long it didn't had run the, the prison. Yeah, how long had the island been operating for? As a prison? Yeah. For 32 years. Okay. Um, So it was then that Cockatoo Island became the home to a new type of prisoner, a girls' reformatory school that homed girls aged between the ages of 8 and 18. And these girls came from one of three places typically. One was a wayward girl, so someone who'd ran away from home or someone maybe who had gotten pregnant and stuffed themselves over and found themselves, you know, rejected and disowned or whatever, um, orphaned girls, so as soon as your parents were gone and no one wanted to take you, this is where you went, um, and Aboriginal girls. Um, and so Oy. there were two elements to this reformatory school. So on one side of the um, of the facility, it was an industrial school. So there were there were girls that were sent there from their homes. They would go there each day and they would learn industrial skills like sewing and those kinds of things because we're thinking wartime, they need to learn these skills. These are the girls that are going to be working in the factories, so they're going to learn factory jobs in order to be able to support their families. But in the reformatory, which was on the other side, was where the the girls from the wayward homes and the orphaned and the Aboriginal girls were. And so there were these two sides. Now, the, the industrial school was supposed to just be a fairly normal industrial school for the time and standards, but the reformatory school was anything but. It was like hell and heaven in the same island, essentially. So the girls in the reformatory school, they were pretty much prepped for domestic servitude. So they learned how to be housekeepers, essentially, and nannies, but basically to be women of service and to think themselves lucky that a family of well-to-do status might come and just say we need a, 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 a girl to work at the house and to be our house girl. Yeah. And so they would learn all the things that they would need to do to cook and to clean and to care for old people, for children, for do everything they needed to do. But unfortunately, uh, 
You didn't even have to just be an out-of-line girl or a girl with an attitude. All the girls were subjected to horrible cruelty and abuse and often the ones that did speak up about this or try to defend the other girls were beaten and dragged by the hair and forced to spend long periods of time in the solitary confinement cells where they slept on the ground um, with no comfort at all. And this would sometimes last for days on end. Um, the girls that actually slept in the dormitories, though, they didn't really have much of a better circumstance because they too uh, did not have beds or pillows or mattresses or blankets. They had to sleep on the floor. Um, and these girls, the ones at the reformatory, they were actually refused cutlery. So they always had to eat with their hands and they were never allowed to use knives and forks and spoons. And they were forced to drink water from a communal trough. So those troughs that the men used to use for, you know, their, their dumping ground, yeah, they became their drinking troughs. Holy so it would be going shit. up and scooping up water out of the trough oh and slurping gosh. it out of their hands to be able to drink because they did not have cups either. Wow. So it was pretty nasty. But in Who 1880, so, pardon? Who ran this? Was this still state run, like government run? State. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Um, so in 1880, though, um, a pair of or a couple, a husband and wife named the Hills, they, I forget their first names, but their last name was the Hills, um, they were English social reformists and they'd travel from England and they came over to Australia to check out what was going on with the colonial settlement. And essentially they came to Cockatoo Island because they'd heard that um, that there was that reformatory school but there was also the industrial school, so it was a place of interest for them to check out. So they went and after doing a tour of the reformatory, and listening to some of the things that were happening there, they wrote a report on the conditions and this went into another inquest and eventually it was closed down immediately upon deciding that this place was essentially a place of torture and it was not a safe place for young girls to be. So in 1888, the prison was reprised and received the overflow of Darlinghurst prison. So Darlinghurst... Um, you know, around that time, like we said at the, at the beginning of this episode, like people were being arrested for the most crazy things and being sent to jail for the most craziest things that we wouldn't even, like we wouldn't even get a slap on the wrist or most of often someone would turn a blind eye these days. But Darlinghurst Prison was overflowing. So the prison opened back up again and it started to take the overflow. But what it was taking was actually the women and the children that were oh. that were being convicted. So it became more like a women and children's prison. And from there, we're not, it doesn't really talk too much about the standards that they were kept in at that point, but I can't imagine it would have been fantastic. But there's not too much detail that I could find. But in 1908, it was finally closed for good for the final time with the remaining prisoners, which there were only said to be a handful of women left, and they were sent to Little Bay, which is where they ended up finishing up. After that, it remained largely uninhabited. Uh, it was a, sh a ship's dockyard for quite a while, um, among just many other kind of practical purposes in terms of the harbour and maintaining the, the ability for ships to come in and out. Um, but it's also when it became obvious that there was other inhabitants there. Ooh, income spooky haunting inhabitants. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that UFO? Isn't that aliens? That oh, noise? probably. Yeah. yeah, getting my podcast mixed up. <laughs> mm -hmm. So today it's known as a popular tourist destination. It's an amazing um, home to a music and arts venue where people have concerts there yeah. and, you know, at New Year's you can go and they also do guided tours for historical purposes but also for ghost tours. 
They also do sleepovers there where you can camp there, like grab a tent and camp. Because yeah, of the nice crazy. view or because you want a yeah. ghost visit what? or sleep amongst snakes? Like why? Well, let me tell you. So the Cockatoo Island is now under the wing of Sydney Harbour Federation Trust. So they run it just like they do most, like, you know, most trusts or, or um, federations or what are they called? Like, um, you know, when something's under heritage listing and things like that, you know, they, they're going to try and make money. Yeah. So the government's going to try and make money from yeah. a venue. You know, it's a piece of land. So they pretty much just let it do what, like, what it's going to do. But here's some really cool things. So... A man named Rob Wilson, an Australian man, and he is from a company called Ghost Territory Tours. He was commissioned by the uh, Sydney Harbour Federation Trust for a two-year investigation into the paranormal activity of Cockatoo Island. And his job primarily was to either debunk or substantiate the multiple claims of the paranormal activity on the island. They basically wanted to know, is this a place that, has all the shit going down that people say it has going down or is it not? Because we need to decide what we're going to do. And I guess this probably comes down to their culpability in terms what of like job? if we open. No, I know, right? So obviously he found that it's definitely home to a lot of paranormal activity. And they needed um, to fund him he... for another two years of work to find that out. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you Apparently. say it was a two-year contract? Yeah, it was a two-year investigation wow. into into it. So, yeah, it is. I mean, you from from the like from your perspective, I can see why. Wow, that's a long time. But from my perspective, there's lots of um, think like things to consider inside where when you're going to, especially if you're going to uh, claim that a like a an environment or a location such as this, like a government location, actually does have it. And what the things that you would be looking at would be seasonal activity as well. So you uh-huh. would definitely have to go a whole year in order to see one. the seasons. Yep. But then you'd probably want to do two to compare the season data that you got from last from the year before. Because that stands seasonal, to reason. Yeah. So hauntings can, you know, if there's residual, um, like they seasonal activity can can affect things. You know, like things can be seasonal activity. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all seasonal or situational, of, right? So out of his findings, now this is, I'm a little bit, a little bit not confused, but a little bit like, huh, like I feel like he's kind of breaking it down for the people who don't know, but the people that do know, like I'm sure everyone's thinking, huh, but he basically, um, so he now runs tours there and does everything there. It's his job to do all of that. Cool. But he claims and the tour guides that, you know, learn from his, his evidence and his findings that, um, there are five types of hauntings on Cockatoo Island. And this is where I'm like, hmm. So they classify the first type as dark shapes. So this would be, um, this would be, you know, um, this would be ghosts. This would be apparitions, I would imagine, but dark ones. Whether or not he's actually referring to the fact that they're of evil nature or whether they actually appear dark instead of light, I'm not sure. The second one is intelligent hauntings, which we know that's basically when you have a spirit and something's haunted and if you try and um, 
communicate with them, they're able to communicate back to you as if they're answering you. So they're intelligent. They actually have the ability to speak to you and communicate. Residual haunting, which we have spoken about before, which is where it is more of an energy on loop. So the, the whole spirit's not necessarily there, but a part of their spirit is trapped into an event that causes a residual haunting, which means it's on loop. So it might be people walking upstairs back and forth, but the spirit's not there. It's just them walking up back and forth and the sound of them being there that's there. Or it might be sometimes it's someone saying the same thing at the same time every day. And it's not that their spirit's there. It's just that that's stuck on loop. Yeah. Um, the fourth type is electronic malfunctions. Now, this is not a type of haunting. This is just the type of activity that a haunting will do. Yeah. So they they just manipulate electronics. You know, it's pretty standard. It's not a type of haunting, though. It's just how they interact. Maybe that's how um, we had to label last, it. To maybe for the, for the lay. Yeah. yeah to yeah, document to sort of it help down. explain it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the last, the fifth one is poltergeist activity. So poltergeist, you know, most people will think that that's really evil and nasty, but really it's just that it um, is able to move objects, it's able to manipulate things, it's able to do things, it's an intelligent haunting, and yeah. quite often it will be attached to one person. So it's not usually attached to a place, it's usually attached to a person or a, a, like an event. I have, so I've recently, the types, oh, sorry, you go. <laughs> you go. Um, I was just going to say on that note with the the poltergeist activity, it, I I was listening to a recent podcast and it did sort of mention the same thing, that the poltergeist activity was sort of prompted by a person. Even the person didn't realise it was prompted by them, but it was more or less not caused by them, but it only happened because they were there type thing. Yeah. And I found that really yeah. interesting because I didn't realise that. When it comes to the types of experiences that people actually have there through these ghost tours that Mr. Wilson um, facilitates, uh, essentially um, most people's claims when they go there is to feel like this extreme sense of sadness and dread and like the these grey cloud comes over them and they just can't seem to lift their mood and they just really kind of like somber and um which I would imagine would probably be the overwhelming feeling that's residual from um like the prisoners that are there considering most of them probably didn't do enough to really warrant the the kind of life that they were forced uh into having I mean I can't assume but I would imagine not going to be like mass murderers back then. They're going to definitely be more like petty theft crime type situations or, you know, stealing money or something, which, you know, one could argue does that deserve the kind of treatment and standards that the the men were subjected to. It's tough um, going for anyone, no matter what you've done, isn't it? It's just full harsh conditions. Yeah, it is. It's pretty much inhumane. You know, it's just not, it's like there's so many human rights that just aren't aren't adhered yeah. to or respected at that point or even just thought of. Like it's just so callous and just awful. But And intentionally um, sort so of deliberately done because on the mainland when there was other things available um, and then on on this island they were completely just forgotten about and disregarded. Yeah, it was just um, torture, I guess. And so 
they feel this feeling and it's usually combined um, if if people are lucky to experience this, the smell of tobacco, which many wonder whether the men were actually allowed to have tobacco then, but I would imagine not. I would imagine the smell of tobacco would probably have come more from the superintendent as opposed to the prisoners. So that could be a sign that Ormsby is floating around or the second superintendent, which I didn't get his name, but I know his name was Superintendent Mann, but I don't really know anything further than that, like M-A-N-N was his last name. Um, but in terms of their, you know, their habits and whether they smoked, I'm not sure, but most men did back then. It was a sign of um, aristocrats, you know, sort of the higher, the, the people with money could afford tobacco and would smoke a pipe. So there's that smell. Um the other really unsettling thing that happens really common, um, like often if you go there and do a tour, is that you feel people breathing down your neck, um, that whole blowing on the neck situation again. Not okay. Um, so, no, just can you imagine the, like, the, the, the hot, like the, the warm air down the back of your neck, like that, ugh. Have you had that? Especially when, like, pardon? Working as you work as a medium, have you had that? Never. Never. It's Never. like one of the things, the idea of it merely gives me the creeps, but would that creep you out? No. Oh, it wouldn't creep me out. It would gross me out. It is gross. Quite right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I don't okay. get creeped out. Like if I see an apparition, I'm I'm running. Like um, a proper one, like a good on, actually, solid it's one. Really just yeah, but it depends on how they show themselves. Like if they kind of just appear or it's, it's a shock, like a surprise, I'm running. But if I'm expecting them to be there, I'm not going to run. I'm going to be totally okay. Like the the expectation and the preparation of it makes all the difference for me. But um, the fact that I know them. that spirits, pardon? Expecting them. Talk to me about whether you're expecting yeah. them. So you've let your boundaries down. And you've invited them, okay, I'm going to switch you on now, so come at me, as opposed to yeah, I'm not going... your boundaries are up and pop, here they are. Yeah, that, okay. that freaks me out. Like I think like any normal yeah. person, I guess. But Yeah, like um, the rest the of us. The fact that I know, yeah, <laughs> the fact that all the muggles out there, the fact that the spirits, um, because I know what they're capable of doing, I know that if one is going to breathe down the back of your neck, I know that they're doing it to intimidate and I know they're doing it to give you the creeps and ick you out. Um, and so it just pisses me off. Yeah. So instead of being creeped out, I'd be grossed out for starters, but then I would also be just cranky that they felt that they could do that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I do I do often get sighs like, huh, yeah. or like, it's not a grunt, but it's a male sigh that, which I can't do, obviously, because I'm not a male. But um, I will get that sometimes. That's quite close to my ear, um, and I quite often get them touching my hair and pulling my hair and touching my shoulder and my elbow. Um, but in terms of breathing on my neck, they can fuck off with that. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> not interested. Um. And the other thing that is often heard is the footsteps that run up and down the corridor and stairs. Now, I'd probably think that this would be residual because footsteps usually are. Um, most of the time, if anyone's listening and you happen to have experienced footsteps, I would 
probably bet everything that I have on the fact that it is residual haunting. Um, I mean, you wouldn't want to be completely 100% with that, but you would assume that it would be haunting, uh, residual haunting. So one of the tour guides that works there now um, apparently refuses to enter the female toilet, uh, the female public toilet there, because they had such a terrifying experience that that they will, they can't explain, they can't talk about, but in their tour, they do not go in. So they either bypass it and they let the people on their tour go in on their own at their own risk, but they refuse to go in. And um, that, that scares me a little, not scares me, but that worries me a little bit because um, I would imagine that that tour guide would have a level of fear that would then provoke spirit. So I would not want that tour guide on my shift like if I was being honest, like if I was doing a tour, I'd be requesting the one that's not afraid of going in the female toilets because her fear would probably be enough to, you know, to be able to ramp up some activity in not a nice way. I'd be the worst tour guide. Pardon? I would be the worst tour guide. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) You would suck. suck. I wouldn't do it. Um, No, you wouldn't. (laughs) Um, although you were pretty good at mangrove, you were pretty good at mangrove. You managed to you managed to be because you about you. I could do it with you. <laughs> and there were lots of people around. There were people that you around. Felt comfortable but with. I was happy to be there for you. Like I was happy to sort of do what I'll you were doing. Shield. Yeah, like I was. I was there to view you but then on the other side I was I was quite happy to not that you need protecting like ever but I don't know I think always in the back of my mind was like if she needs anything I'm it like I'll do whatever it, whatever whatever it is I'll do it for for her and then if she doesn't need me then cool I'll just like sit back and eat my popcorn and enjoy the show and we will actually <laughs> take this opportunity to say that we will be sharing those episodes that we did for Turns Out She's Psychic, we'll be sharing them to Turns Out It's Haunted very soon. So anyone that hasn't Absolutely. visited them over there will then, will you'll have them dropped to you to make it easier for you to actually know what we're going on about. For those of you who have no idea what we're talking about right now, uh, Turns yes. Out She's Psychic is our, is our original podcast and Turns yeah. Out It's Haunted is off the back of Turns Out She's Psychic. It's a wee spin-off. Um, it is. So um, now in terms of apparitions, so we've covered like being able to hear things, being able to feel things um, yes. and um, and being able to smell things. But in terms of, um, well, actually, we're going to go with more hearing. So um, one of the most, the widest claims apart from the breathing down the neck, the, the most common claim is that people hear the laughter of little girls. Laughter. But equally okay. when people... Equally, when people hear them laugh and giggle, they hear them cry and sob. Um, and the crying and the sobbing uh, is very, um, it induces a lot of sadness and it's not a very nice feeling. And uh, the apparitions that are seen happen to pretty much always be little girls in white dresses, which uh, in looking at history photos of the reformatory and the industrial school, um, they wore white dresses. They wore the, the girls at the reformatory wore white um, aprons, and the girls at the at the industrial school wore white dresses. So it's probably you know 
more than likely that the the apparitions and the spirits that are still around are the little girls that are there. Um, my feeling is on that that they've either passed away there of some sort of illness or they've gone on to maybe leave the reformatory when it closed down or the industrial school when it's closed down and they've gone on and died not much later. Uh, And so they've gone back to a place where they actually had a sense of belonging. And even though it was a terrible place, they would have felt like they belonged to something then in terms of their other friends and the other little girls that were there. Um, Because I could imagine that going to be the the house girl or the girl of the house um, for a well-to-do family, that they would have been treated pretty poorly in most cases. So to go back to a place where you could have your best friend that you shared the floor space with, um, it might be being the lesser of two evils, I'm not sure. Oh, God, that um, breaks my heart. It's sad. Um, so real, though, so, it actually happened. Yeah. And so um, the other thing, too, is, though, that on that, that some of the girls might not have been as sweet as, you know, what we would like to imagine them to be, and they might have actually been quite destructive and, um, you know, not yeah. not the sweetest of natures. They might have been Probably. a little bit sour or naughty, and so they could have come back intentionally to haunt or intentionally to, you know, mess with people and sort of their payback. So there is that element, too. But the most famous resident of all is a sweet little girl named Minnie. And Minnie is short for or was the nickname for the superintendent man um, that came after Superintendent Ormsby. Her name is Mary Caroline Mann and she was his daughter. And so she started living there from 1964. He'd been there for five years before he brought his family to live with him. And they lived in that home, the Biloela or Bilola house. I don't even know how to say it. You said Um, we'd circle back to that. Yeah. So she frequents the northeast room in that house and it's it's, um, affectionately known as the wallpaper room. So obviously, I mean, I couldn't really see any pictures or anything. I've never been there. So I would assume there's obviously some sort of outstanding wallpaper feature in this room. You would um, hope so from that name. <laughs> yeah, oh, you would hope so. Um, but one of her diaries was found from when she was young and her time there, which was from 1964 to 1970, so only six years, but she talks about her love for the island and how much she just loved being there with her family uh, and the whole experience, which is quite interesting because I wonder her father was obviously protecting her from the nasty side of the of the prison side of life and she obviously got to see the beautiful you know the nature and the surroundings of the harbour like if you can imagine growing up on that space in that island if you didn't have all of this ugliness to one side like hello that's got to be the most expensive oh, real estate in the history of the universe prime real so, estate yeah yeah so I think her dad must have been a really nice guy and a really great father in terms of you know keeping her shielded from the the horrible um, things that were going on there. But she is known, she's seen quite frequently, um, and she is known as a playful and cheeky spirit ghost who likes to pull people's hair and smack them. So she likes <laughs> to smack people on the face and on the bum. Um, and In a playful way. There is one report. Mm-hmm. So there is one report, which is where we're going to finish up, where a group of girls, 10-year-old girls were there for a birthday party 
where their parents got them to camp out on Cockadoo Island in tents for her 10-year-old birthday. Right. First of all, huh? Like, they they wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have known. The history, history. I mean. Uh, hello, you go on to Cockatoo Island on Google. Google it and it comes up that like their website and one of the first things it talks about is the ghost tours that you can do there. Like, okay. Come on. Okay. Surely. Yeah, sure. And you know what? If you're having friends that come for a sleepover in tents on an island that's haunted, do you not think that at least one of the parents would have figured out or known that that it was a place where people would go for hauntings? Like even I've known Cockatoo Island was a really fucking scary place probably from my early teens was the first time I remember hearing it. Yeah, and you being and you. you can there and, and you can that. be locked. Yeah, but you can go there and be locked in the dormitories and the confinement cells and you can spend nights there and do like full seances and everything. Can you really? So anyway. Wow. You, yeah, you can. So apparently these group of 10-year-old girls were there celebrating a birthday in a tent and they were up, like a few of them were up, the birthday girl included, were in a tent. She was sharing it with a couple of her friends. And apparently this little girl walks straight into their tent in the middle of the night and asks them to come out and play because she oh. knows a great place to play. That was Minnie. And they... That was Minnie. They opened up the tent and there was no one there. And so the tour guide and the people that were there looking after them said that that was definitely Minnie coming to visit and that's what she liked to do. And she probably enjoyed the fact that there were girls her age there and she wanted to play with them. So she's quite often seen at the end of hallways. And then when you try to walk towards her, she kind of plays like hide and seek. It's kind of like you go to look for her and she's not there. And then she'll appear and then you'll go to look for her and she's not there and then you'll turn around she's there. So she's very cheeky, very mischievous, but definitely means no harm. So that's wow. Minnie. And it seems to me that she must have a lot of the spirits wrapped around her little finger because if she's the one that is the resident ghost when there is so much potential there for to be so much negative poltergeist activity, you know, um, intelligent, dark hauntings. There's so much there. And I can't help but think that Minnie must be a really amazing energy, but also the fact that it's surrounded by water, the fact that there is this tremendous amount of cleansing and energy available to such an island that I think that that probably keeps a lot of the spirits at bay. From the horse's mouth, there you have it. Do you call me a horse? A racehorse. <laughs> Not even. A thoroughbred. <laughs> thoroughbred. But I was just, I've been um, consuming a lot of Britney material, um, Britney Spears material, and oh, I shuddered you. when I likened you to a racehorse because apparently that's what her father had likened her to in recent years, which is not oh. a favourable comment, apparently. She's a racehorse. What? what does he mean by that? Um, well, the, you know, the comment was something like, she's a racehorse, um, she needs to be treated as such. So I, I think you can take that, you know, I can't speak for him and what he was intending behind that comment and who he was even saying that to, I don't even know, I can't even remember. But I, I don't think it was said in a very positive light I think she needs to be managed and every single part of her managed rather than leaving anything up to her. 
and let out to run her race and trained and perform. you know put through the paces and she then when in the downtime locked away and kept in a kept yeah. in a stable it's like you need to go away and stay and locked up yeah. and you can't get out trained managed oh. put in the box and made money from so derogatory so what? cruel yeah, so as soon as I said that, I was like, no, 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 no. I had to. <laughs> I am. I'm not like, pro- call me a horse. No, 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 not even. Not in that light, anyway. That's not. That's not what I meant. No. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, wow. that's aside. I need to listen. Yes. I need to listen to more Britney stuff. It's everywhere. And I've tried to just wait until the end. Like, I want to wait till it's all wrapped up and then listen to someone's full. Summary of it all. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully it, you know, winds up for her and she gets a bit more of her power back because she is a powerful, powerful woman and she needs to just come into that power that everyone has been, not everyone, that a lot of people close to her have been shielding her from. She needs to really inhabit that space for herself. I'm so excited for that. That'll be happening really soon, I hope. Let's hope. Absolutely. Where there is dark, there is always light. And she's a smart woman and she has been waiting a long time for this and and being quite smart about it, I think. So it's coming for you. Enjoy. That's what I reckon. We might have to do a Britney episode. Or five. (laughs) (laughs) Like every other podcast on the planet. (laughs) Yeah, true. Yeah, you know, sure no one fit. needs us. No one needs us. Turns but... out, turns out she's Britney, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably that out there. A spin-off podcast of its own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But oh, I digress as usual. But that was cool, the Cockatoo Island. And um, when you were talking about Cockatoo Island, it was making me remember where was the latest time I had seen that and. I'm sure I have known a couple of people that have attended events and functions on that island for like a night for a dinner or whatnot or for awards. But also I'm sure one or maybe two seasons ago of MasterChef started their first couple of episodes on Cockatoo Island. Wow, probably. Hmm. Yeah, in like a big sort of bunker area and they were in like the central place with all the different... um, sort of stations lined up where all the different contestants were doing their initial cook-ups. I, I'm pretty sure that's where I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, because it's, um, it's basically just like a shell. It's like a, it's a, it's, um, it's like a big shed, like massive, and then yeah. inside there's all these different equipments and machinery and things that are just sitting there. It's quite a industrial, um, I don't know, kind of cool space that would be very arty and it would be a great place for like catwalks and you know plays or things like that it's a beautiful kind of backdrop setting but when you look at the history of it like it's um pretty gnarly it's amazing the gnarly histories out there is crazy hecker's history hecker's hundo (laughs) true true well that was fun get a cat yeah. yeah, we love you, and we apologise for any um, potential sort of defect or um, 
you know, take away from from our usual quality audio. And Maddie Matt is Maddie is definitely doing his best to bring you the best quality. We can promise you that. <laughs> Despite um, our <laughs> that we're making do. Pardon? We are. And we're coming at you, yeah. our beautiful Skeddy Cat listeners, and we will just keep coming at you. <laughs> yep. Whether you like it or not, we will haunt your ear holes. Ooh, do 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 do. Oh no, that's no. paranormal. Ooh, <laughs> are you there? Can you hear me? <laughs> Next week. That actually sounded sexual. So <laughs> no. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Thanks for putting up with us. Bye. Got a spooky story you'd like us to share or a haunted location you'd like us to cover? Send us an email at tospsychic at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at turnsout underscore it's haunted. We'd appreciate a follow, a share, a rating, a review, whatever floats your boat. next time. Sleep well, my scaredy cats.